This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of Basically. I'm your host Stephanie Preisner and today a very topical topic. We are going to be talking about neutrality with Connor Gallagher, author of Is Ireland Neutral? Welcome to the studio, Connor. Thanks a million. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. It's a topic that I think many people didn't think anything about and now all of a sudden they're like, hang on, what is going on? Um, so well done on the timing of the book. <laughs> it's it's very well timed. Can you talk to us first of all, I guess, about this political moment that we're in now? What's happening in terms of Irish neutrality and the discussions that are taking place? Sure. Well, there's a two or a f- there's a few different factors which have kind of coalesced, um, uh, uh, which gives rise to a lot of people asking, you know, why are we talking about neutrality and and NATO and international security all of a sudden? I suppose one of those is the invasion of Ukraine last year, which unfortunately is still going on. Um, that's resulted in a lot of European countries, including Ireland, questioning their uh, international security policy, whether they're doing enough to defend themselves and whether you know they should be doing more. Um, the other thing, I suppose, is a report also last year, around the same time actually, from the Commission on the Future of Defence Forces, a government-appointed uh, review group, which found that basically the defence forces are uh, incapable of defending Ireland, you know, they're mm-hmm. under resources, under resourced, undermanned. Um, they just so they don't have the capability to defend Ireland from any, you know, regular threat, but also perhaps even more importantly, any of these kind of new hybrid threats. And that is the likes of cyber attacks. Um, it's kind of uh, ships in our water that we don't know what they're doing. It's aircraft in our airspace that we don't know what they're up to. They can't protect our submarine cables that transmit all the data between Ireland and America and the EU. And um, we're also just ill-equipped to protect against things like disinformation um, being spread by possibly nefarious actors, as we've seen in, in kind of Eastern Europe. So all that has led to the government uh, announcing a four and international or sorry a consultative forum on international neutrality and that's kind of a citizens assembly light uh, it's gathering of you know a couple of hundred people in a room panel of experts going on for four days actually as we're recording it's we're in the middle of the the last day of it that has obviously been quite controversial because president michael d higgins intervened last week and criticized the makeup of the forum said it was made up of admirals generals and was part of kind of a drift towards uh, what he said is ireland joining or nato membership um a little bit unfairly uh, I, i'd argue the the, the forums actually very few military people on the forum and it's made up of a very broad mix of people from like NGOs uh, like Oxfam are there Concern you've also got from people from neutral countries like Switzerland uh, people from like cyber security organisations that sort of thing so it's a really wide ranging thing um, but those comments and comments from uh, kind of other uh, people who, who would be like peace campaigners or uh, neutrality campaigners have argued that all of this is part of the government's effort for Ireland to join NATO by stealth. Okay. Uh, and, and that might be why, you know, your your friends are texting you being like, are we joining NATO or not? Yes. Now, I would say we're not. And, it's, it's, and, and I argue in the book that it's not something that's on the horizon at all. Uh, and the Talk big, to, for people sorry. listening who don't know what NATO is. 
What is NATO? So sure. So NATO was set up in the aftermath of the World War One in nineteen forty eight. Uh, it's a military alliance, basically. Mm-hmm. It stands for the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, and this treaty, uh, the most important part of it, was Article Five, which said that an attack on one member is an attack on all. So if you're a member of NATO, it's like a little gang, and if someone picks on you, all of the gang are going to pick on the person who picked on you. Exactly. So that's the founding principle of it. And it was obviously set up uh, in opposition to the Soviet Union, which, uh, you know, the, the West was incredibly worried about uh, at the time. Now, at the end of the Cold War, when the Soviet Union stopped being a military threat, but NATO stayed on the scene and it kind of evolved into something a little bit more than a collective defence alliance. And it became involved in things like peacekeeping, for example, in training, uh, improving capacities in different countries. And in 1999, Ireland actually joined a NATO partner program, I guess you'd call it, called Partnership for Peace. So we're not a full NATO member. We're not subject to that kind of um, uh, one for all and all for one aspect of it. But we do work with NATO in certain areas such as uh, they will come and evaluate our defence forces and and see where they're failing and see where they're up to scratch. Uh, We will take part in some peacekeeping missions under the NATO banner, but only if they're sanctioned by the UN. Um, So we have a very close relationship with NATO without being in NATO. Okay, and what are, you know, you see Richard Boy Barrett, different opposition TDs really calling heavily against NATO, saying NATO is a warmonger, it started all these wars, it's killed all these people, it's awful, we don't want to join. Is there any truth to that or is this sort of the, you know, the ramblings of a madman? Uh, No, it's not the ramblings of a madman. It's, you know, it's NATO... Proponent of NATO would say it's a purely defensive alliance. Mm-hmm. So if you don't do anything to NATO, NATO won't do anything to you. Now, obviously, there's been exceptions to that. There's been, uh, for example, the invasion of Afghanistan uh, after uh, uh, September 11th attacks, which was a NATO endeavour. Um, but would you, is the argument there not that September 11th was the antagonist, was the bully? No? Well, so uh, the, the 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 argument there is that the, the Taliban harboured Al Qaeda and and Al Qaeda carried out 9-11 but uh, does that justify invoking Article 5 and does that justify um, you know destroying a whole country and you could argue that it's not the invasion it's the subsequent disaster uh, since the invasion that is the bigger crime Uh, but the criticism also of NATO's or the criticisms are, are, are often more about NATO member countries rather than NATO itself. And okay. A lot of people equate NATO with the US and see the two as the same, even though there's 31 members of NATO. Um, but in the minds of a lot of people, especially on the left, NATO is the US. So if the US does something bad, NATO has done something bad. I mean, you have to remember the war in Iraq, the uh, invasion of Iraq. That wasn't a NATO war. Uh, France and Germany refused to take part in in, okay. in that invasion, and they are NATO members. Uh, but NATO still gets blamed for uh, Iraq. Then NATO will get blamed for Libya, uh, and it did have involvement in Libya for uh, bombing uh, the forces of Gaddafi, who was a ruthless dictator. Uh, but that did result in civilian casualties. Same in Belgrade. But had is Libya part of NATO? No, no, no. no Libya is not part of NATO. So. No. What had Gaddafi done to a NATO country that made them get involved? Well, I suppose Gaddafi has a long 
uh, had a long history of targeting NATO countries, okay. including the U- UK, such as with the Lockerbie bombing, training the IRA and giving arms to the IRA, oh, okay, which were so used against he wasn't the British. Totally clean. Oh, not, not not clean at all. He yeah. was a, a brutal man um, uh, to his own people as well, and he was deposed during the Arab Spring. Um, but uh, NATO intervened against his forces, um, and it's the same. So it's always shades of grey when you're talking about NATO. Uh, you know, NATO were involved in the bombing of Belgrade. Now, that was to stop the massacre of Bosnian Muslims. Mm-hmm. But that, those bombings also, um, and it did stop the massacre of Bosnian Muslims. But it also killed. It also killed civilians, civilians, you know. So it's, you know, there's a lot of phys- philosophical and moral questions around these operations. And so people on the left, these opposition TDs who, you know, claim that NATO are, you know, murderers, are they, they also sort of worship this idea of Ireland is neutral we are a neutral country but having read your book and from discussions and you know even just a vague bit of research we're not we've never been and we're militarily neutral but we're not politically neutral no, and, and, and the government would, would agree with you there. Uh, today we are, are not politically neutral in the sense that we do take sides. We uh, take sides in Ukraine, for example. We're sending military supplies to Ukraine, which, which is a first. You know, yeah. We're sending military supplies to a country involved in a, a war with another country. Now, those are non-lethal military supplies. Yeah. So that means we're sending uh, like body armor and medical supplies and, and fuel mm-hmm. to the army, but we're not sending bullets and missiles and tanks and whatever. Now, you could argue, well, if we're putting f- fuel in the tank of a, a fighter yeah. jet, is it any different to providing uh, um, rockets for the jet? What is the difference? Like, why is it so important for us to be like, oh, no, 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 we'll give you fuel? Is it so that Russia can't come back and be like, you provided the bullets, now we're going to attack you? I wouldn't say it's fear of Russia. Uh, I'd say it's it's a genuine commitment to the this idea of military neutrality, even uh, even even accepting that it's a very flexible idea. So the program for government, uh, for the current government in 2020, said uh, so we would engage with uh, the European Peace Facility, which is the mechanism which we're given all this this aid to uh, to Ukraine, but that we wouldn't engage with it to supply lethal armaments. So it's kind of a cultural thing within government and that they know that they might get public support for it as well. So it does come from this history of military neutrality. And if we... Uh, again, from reading your book and the discussions that have happened, like we have seen that we're not capable of protecting ourselves from uh, cyber. So, like we had the HSE, were what's it called? Ransomware the, attack. Ra- yeah, the yeah. ransomware attack in the HSE. So that was like our hospitals. But people, like people, were impacted by that. We've had you know several different versions of that. So we know, okay, we're not able to protect ourselves here. The defense forces, you know, that sort of a. You could argue, I'm not going to deal in hypotheticals, even though we need to plan for the future. But at the moment, there's no real, you know, physical war attack on the horizon. But we have seen an actual attack that has had an implication, albeit cyber. Do Does that change? Is that one of the reasons why we're talking about this now? Because, you know, probably there are going to be less land wars and more of these sort of cyber wars in the future. And our defence forces need to be able to defend us from them. Absolutely. So um, it just goes back to this whole idea of hybrid threats. The the idea of a land invasion of Ireland or any kind of land attack or uh, Russian bombers dropping bombs on Ireland is incredibly remote to the point where it's almost not worth talking about. But the risk of cyber attacks, of uh, disinformation, of attacks on subsea infrastructure that are 
you know, you can't prove who did it. Those are very real. And we've already seen some examples. As you said, the HSC cyber attack that was done by a Russian based gang, uh, uh, which operated with the tacit consent of the Russian government. Now, I'm not saying the Kremlin were behind this, the cyber attack. Uh, they almost certainly weren't but uh, it shows that they could be if they wanted to mm-hmm. and a lot of the same guys who were behind the cyber attack do work for the Kremlin and are they, did they just do it to show they could or what is that the th- why did no they it was just money it was money you know and the, did we pay them uh, no, no no we didn't no uh, I, I'm pretty confident we didn't pay them they they were, they, it was just unlucky that, that the HSC got targeted um, because it had such weak cyber defences as well they sent out you know this kind of malware or whatever you want to call it to you know probably thousands of different places um but it's just unlucky that the hs someone, someone in the clicked hsc it. clicked on the wrong thing it was an excel spreadsheet i think uh then it was able to get into the system and spread throughout the system which it shouldn't have been able to do um and then they asked for this money i think the government handed it or the state agencies handled it very well they said no we're not going to pay and i think this attackers realized the scale of what they've done and that they've bitten off more than they could chew because this was the largest uh, attack on a health system anywhere in the world in history. It was also one of the largest attacks, full stop, cyber attacks in terms of the number of computers which are affected anywhere in the world. Anywhere in the world. Um, so I, I think there was some diplomatic back channeling mm-hmm. um, uh, with the Russians. Uh, these guys came under pressure and they actually ended up handing over the decryption key which was massively beneficial in unlocking all the systems. And crucially, while they did leak a a very small amount of patient data, the vast majority of data hasn't been leaked, which indicates that the government were right not to pay the ransom. Yeah. It's fascinating though, isn't it? When when you think about how far the, how much the world has changed from when, let's say the state was set up and we, you know, we started the defence forces in the first place and we needed, you know, strong men who could use guns and fight. And it's like, you're so obsolete now at the moment. Like, yes, you have a place in the world, but the skills that we thought we would need are completely different now. And so we have to relook at how we defend ourselves and why people are so emotionally attached to this idea of neutrality. Yeah, and I, I think it's really interesting that you said that about... You know, at the foundation of the state where we wanted big, strong men uh, and a you know big army, uh, ground army in the uh, independent review group report into the women of honor scandal mm-hmm. of abuse in the defence forces, they called out that culture. They said like there's this uh, huge culture, very old fashioned culture in the in the army and in the defence forces of who can do the most push ups, who can run the farthest or whatever, while the kind of more cerebral softer skills are are not valued and you know for an island nation which isn't doesn't face much of a threat of a land invasion we've always not put enough priority on those kind of softer skills or indeed on the maritime threats which we are far more at risk of or threats from the air we've always wanted just a big army full of strong men who can do lots of push-ups and carry lots of (laughs) weights and like that context is still there yeah exactly running through the curro with like 35 kilos in their back for no reason Um, not to undermine the defence forces they're very important but in a vacuum on their own they're not sufficient um, in my opinion just taking a break from my podcast to tell you about another podcast that I think you'll really enjoy if you're a fan of RuPaul's Emmy Award winning series RuPaul's Drag Race then this is the podcast for you it's called Sissy That Pod and it's hosted by Keanu Sullivan and it recaps each episode of the series and it delves into like the really nitty gritty 
bits of each challenge, performances, the feuds that come up. It goes on week by week. And if you like RuPaul's Drag Race, it's a must listen. Sissy That Pod is a reaction podcast to all things RuPaul's Drag Race. You may have seen the memes or you may have seen the queens, but if you watch the show, then you're going to want to listen to Sissy That Pod. Every week after the TV show airs, we have a new episode with a new guest analysing, speculating and dissecting the show. Who's going to win Snatch Game? Will there be a lip sync Lollapurusa? Who's going to be crowned Miss Congeniality? These are all big questions in our world. I'm currently covering Drag Race Season 15 with our extra special guest host, comedian and actress Erin McGathy. So, in the words of Shania Twain, come on over and come on in to the world of Sissy That Pod, wherever you get your podcasts or on Headstuff Plus. When we talk about um, maritime issues and... I guess in general, our inability to defend ourselves. What are we currently doing? Are we currently depending on sort of like, are we don't have any, like we don't, am I correct in saying we don't have a submarine? We don't have a submersible that can uh, manage our shores. But we're like, are the, the the Brits have one and they'll, they'll keep an eye for us and they'll t- sort of like, I don't need a house alarm because my neighbour has one. Yeah, yeah. And there, there's definitely an element of that. Yeah. Uh, 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 we have four ships basically that are that are able to, to go to sea uh, down from just a couple of years ago we had nine. Um, and why did they get decommissioned? Or most of them were decommissioned because we don't have the men to, to, to we don't have the sailors to okay. uh, put them to sea. You know, so we've sold or we've, you know, uh, We've gotten rid of some of them. We've tied up the others. Um, so these are small ships that are uh, responsible for patrolling an area seven times the landmass of Ireland, okay. which is just incredible. We've two very old, uh, thirty-year-old maritime uh, surveillance planes for the same job. One of them is usually getting fixed up, so you actually just have one. Um, and we have no submarines or submersibles. We have a couple of uh, autonomous submersibles that can go down, but nothing that's capable of, you know, monitoring for threats, say, to the uh, undersea infrastructure, like the undersea cables. Mm-hmm. Um, so do we depend on the Brits? Yeah, pretty much. And we depend on the Americans um, to do this. Uh, the British are building a two kind of uh, ships specifically for monitoring subsea cables so they'll be picking up the slack in that regard as well we do have a program to buy more ships and indeed two new small ships arrived in here the other week they're going to patrol the Irish Sea and they're going to patrol critical infrastructure in the Irish Sea uh, but the, the Navy was set up and it's a naval service not a Navy which tells you the priority it's given What's the and, difference? Well a naval service is, is is kind of like a branch of the army rather okay. than its own thing. Now it is a separate, in effect it's a separate branch, but the fact that they call it a naval service, service indicates it's it's lower than the army in terms of priority. Yes. Okay. Same with the, we have an air corps, not an air force. Right. You know, okay. they're supposed to be kind of... Like traffic corps in the Guardian. Exactly. Like one small branch of... Exactly. Yeah. Now they are going to change that, but I mean, just calling it an air force when you've got no planes doesn't make it any, make much difference. Same with the navy. But the navy was set up as a fishery protection body you know um, its main job to this day is making sure Spanish fishermen aren't catching more than their quota so you know it's not geared toward that national defence mission it is part of their mission but its main thing is a fishery protection agency but what do we need so apart from the undersea cables right which 
like it's it's unlikely that you know a pirate is going to say like a, or a bad actor is going to sail up onto the coast of Wexford and jump off onto land and be like right I'm taking over Ireland you know so what is the purpose of of a naval service or a navy well one is uh, we have this these undersea cables which transmit huge amount of data between the US Ireland and the UK and the EU and loads of it loads of these cables run through Irish waters the map is startling I'd encourage people to to google it um, and they are most vulnerable close to the shore because that's where the continental shelf is mm-hmm. um, and that means they're most vulnerable in Irish waters or Irish controlled waters so we have a responsibility to protect those cables um, I mean it could devastate our economy if something was to happen to them could We've it literally could people like turn off the internet by cutting those cables in theory they could yeah uh, or severely disrupt it now it would take a very sophisticated large scale attack because the cables all have uh, backups and backups of backups but so you'd have to be targeting several at once probably mm-hmm. but in theory if you know the Russia wanted to they could cut those cables we know they have the technology and we've seen them do it before or at least we're very very uh, confident that they've been behind instances before in the Baltic Sea and and, and, and off uh, Sweden um, proving it to 100% is very hard they deny it obviously I'm going to take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. Our sponsor is Rockwell Financial and they have a special offer for basically listeners. Rockwell Financial protect but also enhance the wealth of SME owners. If you own a small or medium enterprise or you are a sole trader in Ireland, Rockwell Wealth Management will protect and enhance your wealth. And they have a free consultation for basically listeners. So call them up, tell them you're a basically listener and they will give you a one-to-one consultation for free. We all know neck and back pain can be so debilitating. The good news is the vast majority of spinal problems can be treated successfully by regaining movement, flexibility and strength. Whether you have an existing condition or a recent injury, Matter Private has centres of excellence for spinal care in Dublin, Cork and Limerick to provide you with comprehensive diagnosis, treatment, surgery and rehabilitation. With daily clinics in five locations, it means you can access the expert spine care that you need without having far to travel, no matter where you live. Making the right move is important. And when you have neck or back pain, you want to be treated by Ireland's leading spine experts. You want a team who can look after everything spinal, from the straightforward to the most complex conditions. For everything spinal, visit matterprivate.ie to find out more. Why are... Russia, and maybe there are other examples, but we're only speaking about Russia in this instance. But why are Russia so keen to cause chaos, <laughs> like to, to 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 ruin our health system, to cut our internet cables? Like, why is it Russia? Uh, well, Russia. Uh, yeah. Well, why are we? We're not at war with Russia. Why should we fear them so much? Well, one reason is Russia doesn't view us as a neutral country. They view us as part of the West, as part of. Uh, for all intents and purposes we're part of NATO you know they view if there was to be a more general war Ireland would be probably row in with NATO which I think is a pretty accurate um, assessment if you know that nightmare scenario emerged Um, but more broadly creating chaos in kind of uh, enemy countries is is good you know it reduces their ability to resist attack it reduces their standing on the world stage that's why Russia targeted the US elections in 2016 and it's difficult because it's so hard to prove and I know that it's happening here you know like there are disinformation like really clever disinformation packages that tie like have so many human interest components that tie into people's fears that undermine you know 
government attempts to educate people, to calm people, to get, you know, and it's just exhausting trying to combat something that someone has seen in a WhatsApp group Mm. that has come from a Facebook post that has, you know, and it is, it is a real existential threat. Absolutely. And it's very hard to say with certainty if Russia has targeted Ireland with this information. We could say with certainty they've targeted the US and uh, certainly they've targeted uh, Eastern European, their former members of the Soviet Union. Those were kind of their laboratories for testing out all of these things, these uh, these disinformation tactics. And what I think is very interesting and scary is they don't necessarily care which side in a country wins. Mm-hmm. They just care that there's conflict Chaos, yeah. uh, you know so in you know so 2016 in America they were organizing um, both sides you know um, uh, of debates they're they're getting involved in things like the debate over trans rights or um, LGBT issues or immigration or whatever and so how do they do it for people listening they might uh, say on the trans rights issue what do they do to spread disinformation. Well, you know, it's sock puppet accounts. It's setting up, uh, you know, uh, uh, it's spreading just lies about um, people identifying as cats in schools. You know, like it's just uh, things to make parents afraid and exactly undermine the issue. It's just any issue that'll exploit that fear and that uh, you know the trans thing is very useful because it's they frame it as all about uh, protecting children. You know, um, and you know that's way to get people's attention and to get people scared and worried and um, and it's a way to drive a wedge through society so in a way it's a perfect wedge issue to, for the Russians to get involved in but in other countries like for example in Africa they're incredibly active in this sphere in Africa where they will try to exploit anti-French feeling in countries with that are former French colonies um, and that will lead to attacks on French uh, troops or French peacekeepers in those countries Why just to make the place less stable make it less stable uh, in terms of like an African country get it out of these orbits of you know the EU or the US make it, give it get a closer ties with, to Russia and Russia can come in and exploit the national, nas- natural resources it's just so terrifying and the the scale of it you know like on one side you have you're saying like this impacted the US elections and on the other hand and on, and on the other end of the spectrum there's you know like a single you know sock puppet bot account on Twitter tweeting bullshit about some trans GAA player that doesn't exist or you know mm. and and that's so small but it's so linked to the bigger picture that I'm not sure that people can see it and I'm not sure how to combat it yeah, I'm not sure either. Uh, you know, but it should be a government-led defense. Like we should, do we have a cyber security? We have a cyber security uh, a part of the defense forces, and we have a national cyber security center, which was like very badly resourced up until the cyber uh, the cyber attack on the HSE. Didn't even have a director mm-hmm. because. Um, the, the wage they were offering, people could make multiples of that in the private sector. Mm-hmm. So, in fairness, the government have done a lot since then. You know, the staff has been increased substantially. It has a director, Richard Brown, who's very good. They have been more active in this. They've developed a lot more sophisticated policies and we are cooperating with our EU and, crucially, with NATO countries as well uh, on, on this stuff. Uh, so, it is being done. We have a new electoral commission 
which has been set up. So that's going to be really important next year when we have the local and European elections uh, and maybe even a general election, who knows. Um, so I was actually just talking to him, uh, the, the head of that, Art O'Leary, this morning and he told me like this information is going to be an enormous challenge during those election periods. Yeah. Uh, they're going to be responsible for uh, re- re- rebutting this information and fact checking it but there, he was very clear that they wouldn't won't be able to do it alone they'll be relying on social media companies for one thing to to take down uh, obvious disinformation i think that's going to be a very difficult job when you consider that in, the, in a lot of instances it's not in social media companies in financial interest to take down this disinformation because it generates so much uh, nothing generates engagement like anger you know yeah um and you know you've got twitter under the the, which since Elon Musk bought it, which has just become a kind of a cesspit of disinformation and abuse and and whatnot. Yeah, uh, it's so funny how quickly something can disintegrate. Absolutely. So they really got his work cut out from. Um, I said to him, it seems like an impossible hill to climb, and he's like, well, we have to keep trying. Yeah, we can't just, I guess, lie at the bottom of it. Um, and then, with this conference that's happening at the moment or this forum. What are the steps that would need to happen for Ireland to join NATO? Would we okay. need a referendum? Uh, really interesting question. Technically, there's nothing in the Constitution that says we can't join NATO. Mm-hmm. Technically. There is something in the Constitution that says we can't join an EU common defence arrangement. Uh, but nothing that says we can't join NATO. Although other readings of the Constitution have suggested that a referendum would be required uh Purely, or if nothing else, but to uh, give the decision to join NATO some democratic underpinning. Yes, okay. You know, if we were to join NATO tomorrow, you know, it wouldn't wash with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the government would be would collapse. You know, or uh, a lot of people would be very, very. But would annoyed. it be one of these things like Lisbon or Nice, where if they don't get the right answer, <laughs> they just go back and ask us again? They, they, you, yeah. And do uh, Lisbon and Nice have anything to do? Did one of them have something to do with NATO? No, uh, not 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 directly. Uh, Lisbon and Nice both increased uh, military cooperation on an EU level, so they okay. were they were both about further integration of the EU and. Uh, aspects of them were to do with military cooperation mm-hmm. but really that's setting up things like PESCO which is uh, a couple of countries might get together and try to build a new uh, patrol ship or right, okay. uh, might try to build new anti-mine measures uh, so it's it's cooperation but it's not it, it, it still doesn't have that NATO an attack on one is an attack on all aspect and we're still like a long way away from that but you ask about a NATO referendum I, I there's not going to be one Unless barring a disaster, barring actually Russia bombs England for some reason, mm-hmm. you know, something that would absolutely change the debate overnight. We're not going to be joining NATO. The government don't, don't want to join NATO. Um, for one reason is they uh, don't want to spend the money required to join NATO. We've mm-hmm. spent 0.26% of our GDP on defence. That's by far the lowest in Europe. And uh, to join in NATO, the goal is you have to spend 2%, at least 2% okay. of GDP. So that's almost 10 times, you know. Now, we have said we're going to increase defence spending by 50% by 2028, but we're still way, way below uh, any, anything. Exactly. So the government don't want to join NATO. Obviously, the opposition don't want to join NATO. So they don't want to join NATO, but they do want us to be a little bit better at protecting ourselves. Exactly. And less dependent on our neighbours to have a house alarm. Well, so, yeah, they want us to be able... They, they they want the better defence forces, a more uh, well equipped defence forces that is going to be able to 
do more tasks at home and more tasks overseas as part of UN or EU peacekeeping missions. Uh, but they also say that we can't do a lot of this stuff on their own. So um, to an extent, we are always going to be relying on the neighbour's fire alarm because things like maritime security, defending cables, in particular cyber defence and disinformation, aren't things that a country can really do alone. You yeah. have to share resources and particularly a small country, even if we tripled or quadrupled their defence budget, we still are never going to be able to do those things Because it's a worldwide alone. web. Like, exactly. That's why there's yeah, like yeah. Interpol. You, you know? have to share information. You have to share intelligence. That doesn't mean joining a defence alliance, mm-hmm. but it does mean working with other countries, which we've been doing for decades, but they would like to see it as a more formalised, uh, more extensive basis, I suppose. Is there an argument that while, yes, we feel like the defence forces are a lot of, you know, men who do push-ups, but also we don't really pay them properly and also we wheel them out for the St. Patrick's Day Parade or to because there's crowds in the airport. It feels like we don't really value them because the, you know, it's like, yeah, you can do push-ups, but we actually don't need push-ups. We're not, nothing's going to happen to us that we need you to lift all that. Yeah, so I think Ireland has a tradition of not talking about security and defence issues, not debating it. It's never an issue on the doorsteps, politicians would mm-hmm. tell you. And, what goes hand in hand with that is we don't think too much about our defence forces. Um, and that's, in some ways, that's good. It's good not to be in a militaristic society mm-hmm. uh, where, you know, we don't prioritise um, the kind of, yeah, the, 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 the men with guns and that sort of thing. But in the other sense, it, it means that defence defense forces can feel very undervalued for a lot of good things they do do, you know. Do you think that... You know, the way you say it's not an issue on the doorsteps, it's not something we talk about. Do you think that if Sinn Féin were in government, that would change? Uh, Because of their ties to military? It's interesting. So uh, I think a lot of people in the defence world would be nervous about Sinn Féin getting in. They don't think, they they think they would prioritise defence spending even less than... um, the current government. The current government. And also, you know, Sinn Féin were until... A point uh, the the political wing of a group who also claimed to be the Army of Ireland, Ugly Nair, <laughs> and um, so there's a there's a, a historical distrust there. But what an interesting thing we've seen in the last couple of months is Sinn Féin softening its position on a lot of this stuff. So I interviewed Mary Lou Macdonald for the book, and I said to her, "If we if you got into government, would you pull us out of things like partnership for peace? That's the NATO partnership thing, or um, you know any the kind of EU military uh, initiatives?" And she said, "No." wouldn't. She'd look at each one on a case-by-case basis and see, you know, if we want to be a part of it or not. And and she also said she would like to see defence spending increased and the pay in particular increased. So there's definitely been a, a softening of the position there, possibly as they try to court kind of the middle ground and, 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 and prepare for government. Right, OK. It's interesting because, you know, when you think about our defence and security, like... Are, we have a lot of domestic threats rather than international threats and I wonder about how we um, I think when we think about defence forces we think of Putin coming in we think of a bomb we think of all of these external forces attacking our little island but actually there's a right there's a there's a discontent happening that I think we saw happening in the US and it, and it has come over here now we're lucky that it's not fully fledged here but it's definitely growing um, is there 
anything happening at this forum or any discussions about how we protect ourselves from domestic threats or, you know, I guess, far right or even far left Mm. extreme political views and what that might do? Not really, actually. And maybe that's a failing of the forum that that domestic threat aspect isn't being uh, looked at as in uh, from what I've seen, there's very little discussion of the threats from subversive groups, you know, the splinter groups, Mm -hmm. the, you know, these very, very small but uh, very vocal case. like you know, the people who set fire to the tents of the refugees people who you know they, like it's happening we can see it absolutely I mean and there's also very little discussion from jihadi or of, of threats from jihadi people and we indeed we had a EU terrorism report there it's a yearly report the EU brings out um, and it said that it named uh, jihadi terrorism as a threat and far right terrorism as a threat um, now, in terms of the jihadi stuff the guards will say it's mostly people here who were raising funds for terrorist groups in the Middle East Um, so not necessarily direct threat to Irish people Um, the far right thing is worrying we had a guy arrested uh, or jailed here a couple of months ago who had a load of gun components and uh, he was a far right activist and and he was trying to buy explosives as as well he came over from from England so there is that threat there Um, not really discussed at the forum and also you know, people would say it's more for the guards than the defence forces. Mm-hmm. The you know, guardy take another the lead under-resourced, under-appreciated sure, yeah, absolutely, but far less, far better resourced than the defence forces. Defence forces, which says a lot. Um, Connor, before we finish up, if people want to know more about what you're talking about, read your book or find you, are you on Twitter or Instagram or where can people read more? Yeah, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Connor. Gallagher with an underscore in there somewhere just type it in you'll find it yeah. and uh, <laughs> you can read my work in the Irish Times and the crime and security correspondent for the Irish Times and writing a lot about the forum this week obviously and about neutrality and obviously the book available on all good bookshops and even some bad ones and even some bad ones the book is great I am close to finishing it now and uh, definitely leaves a lot to think about and yeah you really get that sense of like wow what we thought we needed when we set up the defence forces is really not no one could have predicted the internet you know and uh, we definitely need to change our idea about what neutrality is and what it looks like Conor Gallagher thank you so much for joining me thanks so many for having me Uh, that is another episode of Basically our music is by Only Rune our graphic design is by Kahalo Gara we are produced by Julie Hassett and we are part of the Headstuff Podcast Network see you next week This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.